Okay, so ccbiblechurch.com, blogs, and then it's right there. Just click the link and you can have the PDF. Okay, sorry I didn't have physical notes for you. That was just kind of one of those those things. All right, Alex, you ready? All right. All right, well, let's begin. Thanks thanks for being here. Um, You guys can continue to track it down while I I pray, but let's pray. We'll jump in and we have a, a full night. And I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's, let's pray. Well, Lord, we give you thanks for your power in salvation, which not only has the power to awaken us and the power to uh, transform us, but also the power to cause us to persevere until the end. And so, Lord, we are grateful for that. And as we discuss this tough and, and in one sense, from one angle, kind of a tricky doctrine on perseverance of the saints, Lord. Pray that this would be a, a great, uh, tremendous encouragement to us as we think about the process that you have put in place, that, that, uh, that while our salvation is uh, certain and secure and guaranteed, O oh Lord, there is a fight to the death process that you have ordained and that you have explained in your word, O oh Lord. And so help us to understand this. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Give me grace to... to uh, Uh, to teach and to preach with clarity. Lord, help our thoughts be tethered to the text. I pray that we would have submissive hearts, that we would surrender to the meaning of the text, even if it, even if it, uh, um, uh, uh, challenges things that we have previously believed. Let us surrender uh, to what the text says. And Christ, may you receive all the glory for it. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Tommy, for the help. All right, well, tonight ends, it ends the series on the doctrines of grace. Um, and uh, again, um, you know, seven weeks to do five doctrines, that's okay. We'll, you know, we, we could have taken longer for sure. And, and again, don't, don't forget that all the doctrines of grace are, that if someone were to ask you what, what we're dealing with is that all these are, are essentially a summary of God's sovereign power in salvation. In other words, these are all the things that, that God has had to do to save you from eternal woe and despair. Uh, I love, again, I say this every time, but I love to think of it as that the doctrines of grace are essentially the entire story of Christianity. What the doctrines of grace communicate are, what they display are God's quest at the cost of his son's life to replace our blindness with spiritual sight and to replace our uh, taste for spiritual poison for an appetite for Uh, the all-satisfying perfections of God. That is the doctrines of grace. Again, we remember that back in the early 1600s, uh, there were some, some pastors, some theologians who, who really did us a big favor. And as they looked at the Bible as a whole, they compiled together sort of the, uh, the, the mountaintops of salvation, as it were, collecting, just looking at the scriptures, identifying, all right, this is what God had to do to get us saved. And, and what came out were the, the doctrines of grace. Again, we say this every time, uh, these doctrines don't say everything there is to say about salvation. But again, these are the the mountaintops. And what I love about these is that these doctrines uh, most conspicuously put God on display as the all-sufficient giver of grace, and they put us in our rightful place as the needy beneficiaries of that grace. That's what makes these so glorious. And and again, just for review, because we can't review enough, uh, they don't have to be in order, but what are the doctrines of grace? So you Usually, typically, we start with what? 
total depravity. Here we started with unconditional election, but this is this is good enough. So total depravity. Um, and uh, who said that? Who was the first one to speak there? Was that? Uh, and Brian, what is total depravity? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean man's not capable of doing good things, but everything that he does is tainted by sin and God's wrath. Exactly. To the degree that there's nothing that he could do to to obtain any sort of merit or right his situation or change, you know, his dilemma before God, right? I mean, everything he does, even the best of what he does, is so tainted with sin that it is even that is worthy of God's wrath and judgment. Yeah, and, and the spiritual death and all sorts of things in there. We need to be awakened by a miracle called regeneration. Okay, and then what's the uh, typically the next doctrine on the list here? Yeah, unconditional election. Okay. Uh, someone who's not Brian, uh, tell me what is unconditional election? Take a stab at it. God chose an elect group of people, and it had nothing to do with seeing whether we would eventually do something good or deserve anything. Yeah. Totally unconditional. Very good, yeah. E- even, even, uh, it was not even that he did a divine Google search and looked ahead to see who would believe if offered the gospel and then on that basis chose them, right? Because that's still, that this is unconditional and we mean it in the full sense of the term and that he, he chose them to believe and to be saved. God determines who will believe and undeservingly be saved and who will disbelieve and deservingly be condemned. Okay, what's the, uh, what's the next one? A particular atonement, right? And uh, rich... What is particular atonement? Particular atonement. Particular atonement means that the Christ's death uh, was not effectual for all people, but only those, the, the elect, who died for the elect. Yeah. Not for all people. Yeah, yeah. So, so what it's saying is that the intention, the design of the death of Christ was for those that the Father has chosen, right? That, that Christ didn't die for everybody but nobody in particular, but that he died in particular for those very ones from every nation that the father chose and gave to his son. Again, we see that in texts, um, you know, when Christ says, you know, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, well, meaning what? Well, meaning that there was a distinct group of people for whom he died. It's, it's in Revelation 5, 9 that, uh, that Christ ransomed for God men or people from every tribe and tongue and nation and, and people. And this is very interesting because it doesn't say that he ransomed every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, that he ransomed some or people or men from particular ones from those nations. Okay, what's next? Irresistible grace. And was that you, Jaime? No, it definitely was. All right, uh, Jaime, what is irresistible grace? I understood it's the moment where God awakes you from your death when salvation happens. Yes, yes, very good. That's exactly what that is. And, and when that happens, what, what, what is it? This is kind of a tricky question. What is it that makes grace irresistible? So, so taking into consideration what you just said, why did they give it this term? 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 what, and the miracle of regeneration. What it does is it opens the blind eyes to see Christ for the supremely valuable treasure that He is. So that you see, I have no choice left. Why would I choose anything different? Right? This this is such a glorious treasure. It is in that sense irresistible. Okay, and then fifth and finally, perseverance, perseverance of the saints. And uh, so this is, uh, these are all, none of these are without controversy, right? These are all have their, uh, I know I forgot the the there, you get it. Um, you know, these are all have their, their level of difficulty and challenge. And you know what? That's what's great about this because, you know, we, we should never shrink back from things in, in Christianity that are controversial because if we were to do so, then we dispense with Christianity itself because everything Christianity teaches is controversial, Everything. So uh, we embrace these uh, because they are beautiful and glorious and because they are true. Okay, so um, again, we, we uh, uh, just review. We talked about unconditional election. You guys got that. Um, you know, I don't need to review any of these because you guys, you guys really got them well. So let's, let's talk about uh, perseverance of the saints. Um, and here's the thing about our salvation. Here's one of the things that makes it so glorious is that our salvation was not only predestined by the Father, it was not only purchased by the Son, but that the nature of that salvation is that it perseveres until the end, hence perseverance of the saints. It perseveres until the end. In other words, one of the things that makes salvation, authentic salvation, so glorious is that it, it does not have an expiration date, that authentic faith does not fizzle, Authentic faith does not drift into apostasy. Um, because, again, we, we read the scriptures, and again, uh, you know, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll finish my thought. You know, we read the scriptures and we see these ironclad promises of eternal salvation. We, we see them. Um, I, I, what I was going to say is that I know a lot of people just assume, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, once saved, always saved. Sometimes I'm not even sure. It's like, well, do you have texts for that? It's true. It's true. Salvation is certain and final and guaranteed. Um, and, and yet, w- these ironclad promises that salvation is guaranteed, we, we can tend to become blind to another aspect of our salvation, that says that although salvation is certain and guaranteed for those who are in Christ, it is certain and guaranteed only for those who have a tenacious, white-knuckled grip upon the promises of God found in the pages of Scripture. That's essentially what we're going to argue tonight, is that salvation is certain and guaranteed for those who are in Christ but it is only certain and guaranteed for those who persevere until the end. And you might be thinking, well, how, wait, how does that work? That's what the scriptures teach. That's, teach. That's called a, a theological tension, and we're going to live there. So let me put it this way. The, uh, you know, how, many of, how many of you have personally experienced or you have known people that have experienced uh, periods of doubt or uncertainty or fearful lukewarmness in their lives or um, lapses of faith and belief? How many of you have struggled with that personally or have known people who have had those times in your life, right? So we, we all have. And perseverance of the saints doesn't say that those kinds of things never happen Perseverance of the saints says there may be those times, unfortunately, 
but that authentic saving faith displays itself over the long haul in a faith that perseveres until the end and does not drift into apostasy. Um, uh, Vicki, do you mind grabbing me like a, a thing to wipe this down here? I forgot to grab something. Sorry and thanks. Oh, well, asking you shall receive. All right, very good. Thank you. All right, I've got a diagram that I'll, sh- I'll draw later. I, I, I just kind of I wrote it up at Starbucks in a hurry, so I don't know if it's going to be legitimate, but we'll, we'll see if it works. So, so here's, here, here's the thing that when you read the scriptures, here's what I think you have to take at face value. Okay, so this is long, but, but, but hang with me. And this is essentially a summary of what I've said already, but here's, the, here's the, the reality that you have to keep in mind when you read the Bible. Here it is. Only those who persevere in their faith to the end will reach eternal paradise with God. Okay, so that, that's one angle you have to keep in mind. Only those who persevere in their faith to the end will reach paradise with God forever. And those who do not persevere until the end will perish. Okay, and we're going to see scriptures that, that back all these things up. But here's the catch here. Only the elect will persevere in their faith to the end. But they do so, they persevere, get this, in a radical, persistent dependence upon the power of God. That, that's that's the, the, the collective summary of what I believe the Bible describes about the nature of our salvation. I'll say that again. Only those who persevere in their faith to the end will reach eternal salvation. And those who do not persevere to the end will perish. But only the elect will persevere. But they do so, they persevere, the means, the process of what that perseverance looks like is in a radical, persistent dependence upon the power of God. Do do you see? If that doesn't make sense, I think it will. So here's one thing. How many of you have heard the, the phrase, once saved, always saved? Trick question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Is that statement true? Once saved, always saved. Is it true? It is true. It is true. However, it doesn't go far enough. It's not specific enough. It's not clear enough. You see, what that statement does is that it sort of takes the beginning and the end and squishes it together. But what it misses is this whole thing in the middle that states that the obtaining of our final salvation requires a tenacious dependence upon the power of God's grace that keeps us from falling away. So once saved, always saved is true to be sure. But what that looks like, what authentic salvation looks like in real time is a day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, faith that clings and trusts and holds fast to the promises of God found in the pages of Scripture. That's what the Bible says authentic salvation looks like. That's the process. That's what faith, authentic faith looks like in the trenches. That's what we're going to see here tonight. So here's my chart. I, I don't know if this is going to work, but okay. So I'm, so let me draw a, a Venn diagram. All right. Let's see if this works here. I may live to regret this. Okay. Here is 
all professing believers. This is everyone who professes Christ. And then over here is paradise. I'm sure there's going to be something wrong with this, but we'll see. Okay, here's, here's all professing believers. Here's paradise. Um, and here is... The elect. Does this make sense? So among those who profess Christianity are the elect, and only the elect will make it to paradise. The professing, you see that these two circles, they don't overlap. So they profess to be sure, but they don't make it to paradise. They will not persevere until the end. And I had another circle, but I see that it's redundant now. The other circle is it was going to be persevere and to the end, to the end but that doesn't, that doesn't really work. So, so that's, that, that's a kind of a simple syllogism. I, I hope that works. I think that's right. But either way, it does communicate the truth that only the elect will make it to paradise. So, so let's explore the scriptures. Let, let's look at what I'm calling the ifs of salvation the ifs of salvation. What, what I mean is, uh, I want you to, I'm going to read some verses and you can turn there in your Bibles. If you have the notes on your, on your device, um, uh, you, can, you can follow along. I'm on page 164 if you have those. If not, I'll just, I'll read them and, and that'll be just fine. But I want you to listen to the language that the scriptures use when it describes, um, so, what the kind of language that it uses to describe our salvation because the verses that we're going to hear makes it sound like that salvation could be won or lost. These verses that I'm going to read make it sound like that, that you know, if you don't make it to the end, you won't make it to the end. Okay, listen to Matthew 10. It's in the context of persecution. And he's talking about people who profess Christ and, and who profess faith, and yet persecution comes. And, um, and he, so Christ says this. So I'll start in verse 31. He says, so, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. Again, this is Matthew 10, 31 through 33. But listen to this, verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Meaning what? Christ seems to be holding out the possibility that if, if in a pressure situation, a gun to your head, I, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what he's got in mind, but, but I think a, a life where you deny Christ eventually, I think that's what he's after. It's not just the moment of panic. No, I don't believe. And then you recant later. I don't think that's what he's after. I think he's talking about a life where you decide, you know what? I'm, I'm not in it for this anymore. I, I'm, not, I'm not in it. I'm not going to do this Christian thing anymore. I, I deny Christ Christ says that I will deny you before my Father. Okay, so, so we'll just, we won't spend a lot of time in each of these. I'll just kind of let them hang there and create attention. Listen to Mark 13, 13. Mark 13, 13. He says, you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So he's holding out the possibility that the one who does not endure to the end will what? Not be saved. 
Okay, all right, well, what do we do with that? Romans 8.13. For if you are living according to the flesh, that is, you're living a life pursuing sin, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what he seems to be saying is, if you are not by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body, what will happen to you? Because he says, if you do by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, he says, you will live. If you don't do that, you will what? You will die. Okay, that's interesting. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved. If, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That's interesting. So you are saved if what? What does he say? You are saved. You, 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 will, you will be there in paradise if what? You hold fast the word which I preached. Okay. Galatians 6, 8 and 9. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. For the one who sows to his own flesh will flum, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We will reap the reward if we do not grow weary. So what is, what has to happen for us to reap the reward? We must not what? We must not grow weary. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Contrasting our former life with our life in Christ. He says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you will be before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast not moved away from the hope of the gospel so so what has to happen in order to be presented before god holy and blameless and beyond reproach what what has to happen what does he say what is the if if you continue continue steadfast okay first timothy 4:17 1 Timothy 4, 17. Pay close attention to yourself, Timothy, and to your teaching. Persevere, persevere, persevere in these things. Why? Why do I have to persevere in these things, Paul? Why? For as you do this, you will ensure salvation 
both for yourself and for those who hear you. Don't, don't turn away from these things. Don't abandon these things. Don't, don't give this up and say, you know what, I, I'm tired of this. I, you know, persevere in these things, Timothy. Why? Because in so doing, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do, do you hear the contingency there? Hebrews 3. No, no, 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. It is a tr- And what I love about this verse is that we quote part of it all the time. Um, but, but, uh, but there's a part of it that we, we're not so sure what to do with. He says, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Hmm, that's interesting. Hebrews 3, 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over God's house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the, and the boast of our hope firm until the end. In other words, we are included in God's household. We, we will experience all of the joys predestined for us if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Okay? Uh, and here's another one, and I'll have a, a sort of a, a question for you after this, but Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 14. And again, does anyone remember what the situation was to, in the letter to the Hebrews? What, what, what's happening in the background here? Does anyone know? Obviously, they're Hebrews, so I gave you that much, right? There's the, there are these Jewish Christians, and, and the writer's got a, a concern. He's got a concern. Does anyone know what's kind of happening in the background of this letter? What, what's happening to this community of, of believers? Persecution. Yeah, yeah, there's persecution. Yeah, so, so they live in this Jewish community, right? And, and they have defected from Judaism, and they're this little clan of believers, and the people in the Jewish community are, are starting to put the heat on, right? They're, they're turning on the heat, and, and, it's, and they're putting on some pressure, and uh, yeah, what were we going to say? I don't know. Um, and, uh, and so all throughout the letter, he's got some concerns. He voices some concerns, because some of them were beginning to do what? What, what were some of the people beginning to do? Go back to Judaism. Go back to Judaism right? You know what? This is way, you know, I'm just going to be a believer in my brain, but I'm going to go be, act like a Jew. I'm just going to do that because I can't handle this. This, you know, and again, there were, you know, living in that community, it was pretty tight knit, you know, jobs, economics, you know, situation was at stake here. I mean, I mean, you used to go to the, you used to go to the I was going to say bar. <laughs> it makes sense. Anyway, you used, to, you used to hang out with guys after work, and now you're not, you don't get to be in their group anymore. You're, you're, the, you're shunned from the family. So people are like, you know what? I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back in, into Judaism. And the writer goes, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Because listen to what he says. Take care, brothers, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But in, instead of that, encourage one another. 
day after day, as long it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast our assurance firm until the end. We have become partakers of Christ. Everything that he purchased is ours. If. If we hold fast our assurance firm until the end. And does anyone know uh, that, that, that word falls away? See in the English there, that word falls away. Uh, the Greek word literally there is apostenai. Apostenai. What does that sound like? Apostasy. Apostasy. So he's talking about drifting from the faith. So let me ask you this. What are the signs that you know of? Because again, he, he's calling this church to be on the lookout for one another and not to be like some creepy people who sort of are invasive in, in each other's grill in a, in a creepy way. But basically, he's calling the church to, to have eyes to, to look, be on the lookout for one another, to look for signs of apostasy and to call one another back should they see one another drifting. So here's the question for you. What are the signs in people's lives that could eventually become apostasy? Things that maybe they're small now and maybe they don't seem like the biggest deal now, but it kind of makes you concerned. And it's like, well, that, maybe it's not a huge deal now, but eventually that could become full-blown apostasy. What are some of those signs that, that you could possibly see in someone's life? They stop going to church. They, they disappear. They cut themselves off from the body, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, no one's the church attendance police, but when, when people drift and isolate themselves and stop showing their faces around here, we just, we just can't help but wonder, are you okay? Because no one thrives outside of the community of souls. No one, no one, no one. Very good. What else? What are signs that maybe they're small now, but they could eventually become apostasy? This, this is training for us, church. Doesn't take, yeah, doesn't take, they don't take sin seriously, right? Maybe, maybe sin is jokey, kind of funny, and it's like, well, it's not really funny, and, 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 and there isn't a weight and a gravity to it. Sure, yeah. Right. Sure. Maybe that's the most recent cultural kind of thing that's come to the surface that could reveal that. Sure. There's, it's not just that, but a whole bunch of things, right? But I think that could be an indicator. Like, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, you know, I mean, why is that such a big deal? It's like, well, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about this. Okay. What else? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so drifting from the sufficiency of Scripture. So after a while, well, I mean, do we really need, I mean, I mean, this, the Bible says that, but do we really need the Bible? I mean, I don't know if that's how people would say it always, but, but drifting from the centrality and the sufficiency and the supremacy of God's Word. Yeah, really good. So I even think in terms of, you know, maybe they hold an orthodox view of the Bible, but maybe their souls aren't saturated with it. Their heart has grown cold and hardened to the word. And it's never something that, you know, it's like they don't love God's word and they've just kind of drifted and they would affirm it on a doctrinal statement. But so that's something to, to watch out for. I think a Christian single that loses their 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's not crazy, Linda, because um, in fact, that's, that's, that's right on. I've seen that happen, right? So there was, you know, there was a couple when I first became a, a, a college pastor, there was a, a young couple and um, they started sleeping together. And at first they, they came to my office and they were, they were expressed a level of repentance and remorse and they felt really bad about it. So it seemed, and maybe at some level they did, but something happened. When we tried to give them counsel, we tried to help them, all of a sudden, things began to, began to turn, and all of a sudden, they, they, they kept sleeping together, and all of a sudden, everybody else became the bad guy. Everybody else became the ones who were attacking, and all of a sudden, they became really defensive and enclosed, and eventually, it drove them to the point where they radically changed their entire idea about marriage to the degree where they said, well, because we've, we've slept together, in God's eyes, we are married, so now we're not in sin, so you can't say anything about it. And it's like, oh, what just happened? Yeah, we live together now. Well, well, because we're married. Wait, what? <laughs> because you, because you, because you, you committed fornication. You're married. What is happening here? So, so yeah, that's that's not crazy. And here's some other things. Um, uh, I've got seven signs of what could eventually become apostasy. Uh, again, I'm not saying you have to call people out on these things right away, but I think these are things that we just need to pause. And, if, and, and I told the staff this on, on Thursday. It's like, if, if you see something that makes you feel kind of funny, it's, it's probably kind of funny. And it's like, it's like maybe you, don't, you don't, don't tell anybody about it. Don't spread a bunch of you know, rumors. Just pray and eventually you know, maybe need to talk to them. But number one, uh, signs that it could eventually become apostasy is the gradually increasing domination of a secret sin. The, the gradually increasing domination of a secret sin. By the way, this is a tangent. This is a, as an excursus. I think it's important for us to talk about this. Number two, uh, more and more time spent with ungodly people. Again, we should spend time with non-Christians. I, we should do that. We must do that. But uh, you know it's a problem where it gets to the point where you prefer to spend time with them. And, and it really becomes dangerous when you, when you hear people say things like this. Well, you know what? I've got these non-Christian friends, and they're nicer than even the Christians I know. And when I hear that, I go, ah, uh, hold on. Hold on. What is happening here? Right? So you see, well, well, they're not hypocrites. All the Christians I know are hypocrites, but these non-Christian friends of mine, they're really kind. Right? We, we've, we've heard that explicitly. And when you start hearing things like that, Holy, holy cow. Uh, number three, uh, incremental and gradual coldness to the word. Incremental and gradual coldness to the word. Number four, general, ambiguous, and non-specific admissions of struggle. General, ambiguous, and non-specific admissions of struggle. Um, you know, in, in other words, they're not going to let you in, and they're not really going to tell you at all what's really going on. Oh, you know what? I struggle with pride, and you know, I'm kind of selfish, and and they, and you try to well, in, in what way? And they just they won't let you. You know, I'm I'm going to be general. I'm going to be very non-specific, and I'm not going to let you in. Again, you know, you can take that too far and have a creepy culture of suspicion, which no one wants that, but if someone refuses to just really be honest with where they're at to anybody, maybe, maybe that's a thing. Uh, number five, and this is something that uh, Linda referred to, uh, your heart grows cold to investing in people and meeting with the body. 
you're not going to let anybody in. You're not going to get in anyone else's life. And, and you know, your, your interactions are kind of shallow and they're always kind of flippant or silly and comedic and everything's always joking, but you're never really going to be honest with where you're at. And it's like, I'm not saying you're an apostate. I'm just saying, mm, I don't know. I, I'm not persuaded. That's great. Uh, number six, avoidance of relationships, unwilling to let people in. And then number seven, increasingly unorthodox theology. Beliefs that get increasingly strange and odd and bizarre and kind of, you know, you know, there was a guy in Spokane and, and just every week it seemed like there was something else. And then one week, he, you know, he said, I believe, I think the book of First Enoch should be canonized scripture. What are you talking about? And then it was just this weird, goofy stuff. And the next week it was something else and something else. And now this dude doesn't even go to church anymore. So uh, bizarre stuff. Okay, so uh, we're talking about perseverance and, and the ifs of salvation. A couple more texts. Uh, Hebrews 10.39. Hebrews 10.39. I'll do, I'll do two more. This will be good enough. Listen to what he says. Hebrews 10.39. He says, Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. This is exactly what we're talking about tonight. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That verse right there includes everything that we're, that we're talking about. Everything. One more. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So, this is kind of a funny way to put it, but what are the requirements for seeing the Lord? What's that? Yes, yeah, exactly. Sanctification, right? And what else? He gives two things. Two things that if you don't have them, you're not seeing the Lord. And he tells, him, he tells you to pursue these things. And if you don't pursue them, you don't see the Lord. Peace with everyone. And then a pure heart, clean heart, peace and, and sanctification. If you don't have those things, you're not getting in. Now, is he saying salvation by works? Is he saying that if you do these things, you earn your way into heaven? Is that what he's saying? What is he saying then? If he's not saying salvation by works, and he most categorically is not saying that, because again, so much of the letter to Hebrews says that's impossible. What is he saying? That is exactly right. Go ahead. Oh, it is the evidence that you are changed. The, the evidence, the fruit, the, the, uh, what displays authentic salvation is 
if you pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. And without these things, we don't see the Lord. I've got some other text in here too. So the question is, if these, what do these if verses mean? If they don't teach that you can earn your salvation, and they don't, then why do these verses seem to give the indication that there's a possibility we might not obtain final salvation? What do we do with this? Well, let's do the other side. Let's do the other side. We're just going to mostly spend most of our time looking at text here. Uh, hold, hold on one second. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to look at texts that talk about the certainty of salvation. We just looked at a bunch of texts that seem to hold out the possibility that if you don't persevere to the end, you will perish, which is exactly what will happen. But at the same time, there's this other tension, there's this other aspect of our salvation that it is certain and final and guaranteed. So before we look at them, what were you going to say? Yes. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. Basically, his question is, if you didn't hear it, um, how do you know that you've persevered enough? Like, like, what does persevering faith look like? How strong does it have to look at the end to qualify? Is that kind of what you're asking? You know, and, and I, think, I think the answer is, you know, obviously, you know, when we're dealing with real life and we're dealing with real people and real struggles, you know, that's going to look different in each case. However, however, the one constant that will remain um, is that what persevering faith looks like is fighting, grueling, battle-wearied faith. However weak it may be, but you see, what you just described is the essence of what the, of what the scriptures talk about. It's like, I, I fight sin, and I really want to be holy, and, and I really try to utilize God's grace and, and, and persevere, and I just want to honor the Lord, and, and I just, man, this, is, this life has been so hard, and, and this has been a struggle, and that's exactly the evidence of authentic faith right there. That. Anything else, once saved, always saved. Come on course i'm gonna make it. what are you talking about this is, this is ridiculous this is a stupid conversation when i hear that kind of stuff like uh I, you don't get it i don't know if i've ever heard or heard anyone say it that sort of you know with that kind of attitude but 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 that in the trenches i struggle i love christ but i find that i love him so little and i just want to live for his glory and i struggle every single day that is persevering faith that's well put what were you gonna say Hmm. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, and, and I would say the other angle of that is not just to, to see it, uh, but, but to refine it and strengthen it. Yeah, which is what you meant, but that's really good. Okay, so, uh, so let's look at some verses, just a few. Oh, go ahead. Okay, okay. Am I getting quizzed on this? How, how, how do, what, what, do I, what do I win if I get the right answer? That's what I want to know. All right, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Okay, I'm trying to get my quiz back. Sorry. 
we cannot do apart from God. Yes. It is His working in us. So it's really not a work of the flesh. Right. So there's no salvation that we are trying to get. Right. In the sense that we earn it or merit it. Right. Yes. There you go. Yes. Well said. That, that was the only other word I was going to add to that was responsible, and you got it. That's very well put. Very well put. So, so person, you, you do. You, you get it. That's really well put. That's well put. Did you have something, Linda? Not to take up much of last time, but is that why a lot of times we hear that suicide's not going to happen? Is that because they didn't persevere to the end? Maybe so. And I think some of it is based on this, this Roman Catholic teaching that, that to commit suicide automatically qualifies you for, for purgatory or hell. Um, so that comes from Catholic doctrine, and there's just no foundation for that in, in, in the Bible. Um, you know, I mean, persevering faith, it's got to persevere, but, you know, but yeah, the, the, the act of suicide does not automatically... Oh, Yes, uh, totally, totally. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, I think anecdotally, I think we've all known someone or known about someone who they, they, they really struggled in, in life and, and they had this lapse of unbelief and, or whatever and, and, you know, they could commit suicide and still be an authentic believer. Um, the nice thing is we trust the Lord with all those things. And uh, okay, well, let's look at a couple texts that talk about the certainty and guarantee of salvation. So this is, this is just to, to balance uh, uh, what we just looked at as far as the ifs. Peter, go ahead. Well, just on that same vein there was, you know, we're, we're here talking about it, but in other countries where, you know, where people are being persecuted, they yeah. don't really come to, to that so much here, at least not death, you know, but, I mean, we have to... You know, I always wonder, well, if somebody has a gun to my head or my wife's head, right. is, you know, is, you know I, I have to trust that God is going to sustain me in that. Mm-hmm. Say, yes, right, time. right. I've never been tested. I, yeah. I don't know. Yes. I, mean, I, I, I hope I would come out doing the right thing there. Yeah, but, I know. Um, you know, you, it, it's something I think is very good to talk about now so you, you know when persecution does come to us, yeah. you know, you, you will have already thought through this. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and of course, you know, that people have made unfortunate, no, I don't believe, fine, you know, I, you know, don't kill my family. And, you know, they've had those moments where it was sad and they were put in this unbelievable situation that couldn't, we couldn't even imagine. And that doesn't mean that they lost their salvation, right? So, I mean, those situations like, oh, what do we do with that? You know, I, I don't know. What, what I think, what's interesting here in our culture is, is that maybe we don't have guns to our head. We have different, we have metaphorical guns to our head and the bullet passes through the brain really, really slowly. Things like materialism and greed and, and you know, passing pleasures of sin, the which, which draw us and pull us away ever so slowly, right? So, so maybe we don't have those kinds of threats, but we have other kinds of threats to our faith that forces us to cling to Christ over the long haul and persevere, right? So, yeah, but you're right, though. It's good to talk about this now and, and wrestle with this now. That's, that's good. 
Uh, okay, well, a couple texts here about the certainty of salvation. I won't spend a lot of uh, a time on this, but my, my goal is to show you that the text, the, the, the Bible also does affirm the certainty and the guarantee of our salvation. So we heard all these if statements. What about certainty statements? Well, listen to this. Um, John six thirty seven through 40. And you just read through the New Testament. I mean, there's, there, there's not just one slam dunk verse that talks about that we don't lose our salvation. There's, I mean, you just read the New Testament and the whole sense, clear, demanded sense of the text is, man, if you are in Christ, it is permanent and for, and for eternity. It cannot be lost. So it's hard to pick even verses for this because it's, the scriptures are so clear. But John six thirty seven through 40, listen, listen to what Christ says. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And and by the way, who are those people? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Who are they? Who are the gift? That's the elect, right? All that the Father gives me, they will come to me, i.e. in faith. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That out of all that he has given to me, I lose a few. I lose some. I lose half. I lose 80%. What does it say? I lose none. I lose none. I lose none. But instead, instead, look what it says. Raise it up on the last day. For the, and he says it again. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Period. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. I don't know if we need any other verse in the New Testament. Other than that, there it is. It's like, well, there it is. There's the chosen they come to Christ, they are saved, they have eternal life, they will be raised up on the last day, finished. But there's more. John 10, 27 through 30. Essentially says kind of the same thing. My sheep hear my voice, and who are the sheep? The elect. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will what? Never perish and no one will snatch them out of my my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I am the father, our one. There's this double Trinitarian layer of security and protection over our eternal souls. No one can snatch you out of Christ's hand. And oh, by the way, the Father also holds you, and no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Um, so many to choose from. I mean, I won't read all these. Romans eight twenty nine through thirty. I think that's a I think that's a deal breaker, right? Total deal breaker. Listen to this one. First Corinthians one seven through nine. First Corinthians one seven through nine. You are not lacking in any gift, as you eagerly await the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The work of the Son of God is to confirm you firm until the end. Uh, let's see. Uh, Philippians 1.6. I'm skipping some. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will do what? Will perfect it until when? The day of Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. First Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. He called you. What he's referring to is the completion finishing to the end. He called you initially. He will bring it to to pass. What to pass? My calling. The calling to, to, to be in Christ. He will bring it to pass. And then listen to this one. 1 John 2.19. John, there's this situation. There's these weird kind of spooky false teachers that had infiltrated the church and spreading some funky ideas around. And basically what false teachers try to do is they move in and they kind of have these secret conversations with people. Hey, come here. Come here. Did you hear that? Did you hear the, his sermon? Uh, you know what? You know, let me, let me tell you something. And then they start gathering, you know, sort of some people and dividing people against the leadership and creating this sort of secret subculture. And then, and then they leave and they drift and they do something else and then disband. And, and, and John says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, they left, they apostasy, they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. So those who are legit, they stay. That doesn't mean they only attend one church. He means that they, they remain in orthodox faith. Again, there's there so many others. And again, like I said, it's really hard to choose, but the scriptures are clear. Salvation in Christ, it is certain and it is final and it is guaranteed. The elect are chosen. They will come to Christ. They, will, uh, they do have eternal life. Christ will raise them up in the end. So, so what do we do with this tension? What do we do with this? Because again, what we're dealing with, right? What we're dealing with is we have this sense where salvation is certain and final and guaranteed and eternally secure. It's just, it's just a fact. At the same time, the scriptures are also clear that our perseverance in faith and holiness are required for final salvation. It is certain and guaranteed perseverance in faith and holiness are required for final salvation and then and then the third aspect is believers are urged and warned to not drift from christ those those are three realities that you have to wrestle with from the bible salvation in christ is firm and settled and guaranteed at the same time perseverance in faith and holiness are required for final salvation the the last stage of our salvation and true believers are, are urged and warned to not drift from Christ. What do we do with this? Well, I'll tell you what we do with this uh, after a break. So uh, when we come back, what I'm going to do is I'm going to define perseverance of the saints and, and then I'm going to give you some implications of that and then we'll have some, some questions, okay? All right, so take a, ooh, eat, I don't know, six-minute break. Uh, don't fudge on that. Okay, six-minute break, grab, grab some stuff, and then we'll be back. All right, so again, don't, don't forget, uh, 
I just put my number up, so if you have questions, we'll, we'll have a time at the end where you can, you can kind of send your, your questions and ask about this. This is really one of the more tricky ones, in, in one sense, to, to wrestle with because we're dealing with such a, 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 a critical tension. All right, well, let's, let's begin. We left off looking at the ifs of salvation, and we looked at the certainty of salvation. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define, define perseverance of the saints and, and then kind of walk through the, the definition. Um, okay, is everyone, everyone here except, except my wife? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going until she gets in here. Hey, there we go. Okay, all right, let's, let's define perseverance of the saints. What, what do we do with this, with this tricky issue? So, so what, are we, what are we saying here? So here, here's what we're saying. Here's my definition of perseverance of the saints. I have a short definition, and then I have one that's a teeny bit longer. Okay, all right, here's, here's my definition. Perseverance of the saints, you ready? And it's in your notes, page 173. How many of you found the notes, by the way? Okay. Oh, they're on the website. So if you go to the website and then you go under blogs, it'll be right there. So I have my full word-for-word word, uh, notes. Like I say that like it's some like amazing gift I'm giving you. Well, it's word-for-word. <laughs> this lady has to put up with me every day. She has word-for-word. Word, she has to deal with me. <laughs> There'll be sometimes like it'll be like 11 o'clock at night and all I've just been reading something from my PhD program and I'll be ancient Near Eastern oaths and treaties and I'm telling her about them and she's just kind of looking at me and she's like... That is perseverance. <laughs> and what I'm doing is persecution, you know? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, uh, definition, short definition of perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints is a sovereign work of God to preserve us in our faith through temptations and trials and to cause us to persevere until the end. Oh, simple enough. I'll read it again. Perseverance of the saints is a sovereign work of God to preserve us in our faith through temptations and trials and to cause us to persevere until the end. So you see there that, that we are ultimately attributing the work in our lives to God himself, which is, which is what uh, Vicky was really good to try to point out. It's like, well, okay, it's God's work in our life, and yet we are responsible for it. Absolutely. We just hold those things in tension. And, and that God's work in us is to preserve us in our faith through temptations and trials, and, and that we, he causes us to persevere until the end. When I say causes us, I, I don't mean like, you know, we are just sort of like, standing on a conveyor belt and we are just moved and then someone moves our hand and, you know, it's, I don't mean it in that sense. Um, I mean that, uh, that, that God's work is in our life, that, that he enables us to lay hold of the means that he supplies to persevere. Uh, here's, my, here's my longer definition. I, it's, it's too long. I, I can't unfold that. Um, let, let, me, let, me just, let me just say a few things about perseverance. Um, first of all, we have to understand that, that perseverance, uh, that, that our perseverance to the end, it is a blood-bought work of God. So, so that's, there's, I have several aspects here. Here, here. Here's one. Perseverance, number one, perseverance is a blood-bought work of God. What do I mean blood-bought? What do I mean that perseverance, our perseverance to the end, for which we are responsible to do 100%, that that perseverance is a blood-bought work work of God. What do I mean blood-bought? When Christ died on the cross? Yes. 
Yes. He purchased that. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, that meaning the very dependence upon which you place upon Christ, even that is a gift from God. Even that was purchased by Christ. Are you responsible to persevere? Yes or no? Are you responsible to hold fast to Christ? Are you responsible to cling to Christ with all your might? Is that something that merits or earns your salvation? No. no. Right? So, so even the very act of dependence and clinging and persevering in the end, even though we were responsible to do that, in the end, we bask in that that even that was a gift purchased by Christ. Okay, number, number two, second aspect of our perseverance. Perseverance is a blood-bought work of God in the souls of the elect. Perseverance is a blood-bought work of God in the souls of the elect, meaning uh, only those who persevere in their faith will obtain final salvation, but only those who persevere in their faith and obtain eternal salvation are the elect. Or no, the elect are the only ones who persevere in their faith until the end. And then again, it's this whole thing here. Lots of people profess, not everyone possesses, only the elect persevere to paradise. Uh, Number three, um, this is a bit complicated, wordy, but perseverance is a work of God in us by his grace, through the word, empowered by the spirit. Okay, do you hear that? Perseverance is a work of God by his grace, through the word, empowered by the spirit. And the reason why, and I'll just say one thing about the word, the reason why I include the word there, well, I'll just ask you, why do I include the word of God uh, in, in my definition, in my explanation of what perseverance of the saints must include? Why do I include the word of God as, as in the middle of that? What were you going to say? It does. It does. Yeah, sure. And we'll we'll talk about that when we get to implications too. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, very good. So why did I put the word in there? Why is the word part of the essence of our perseverance? Because it's the only way we can communicate. That's the way God has determined we are to how he communicates to us. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well well stated. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and Peter, what I, what I love about that is that part of what perseverance is is a holding fast to those promises, right? right? That, that part of the, the power that enables us to persevere is a holding fast and clinging to those promises in the word. That, that's why the word of God is there to sustain us and strengthen us. If we don't have the word, we get weak and anemic and we struggle and we crash and burn and the word of God is central to that. Here's another one, another aspect. And this is really long, but, but get a hold of this and this is probably the last thing I'll say. Perseverance is a work of God that produces, get this, an urgent, sin-mortifying desperation and dependence upon Christ for his all-sufficient resources. I'll say that again. Perseverance is a work of God that produces an urgent, sin-mortifying 
desperation and dependence upon Christ for his all-sufficient resources. So, so notice, urgent, urgent. The opposite of urgent is what? What's that? Slow. Slow. Leisurely. Casual. Apathetic. Stagnant. Meh. Laissez-faire. Lackadaisical. Right? You, 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 you pick the word. And, and all of those things, lackadaisical, laissez-faire, leisurely, all those things, that's, that's, that's not evidence of authentic faith. Now, do we struggle with those things? Of course we do. Of course we do. But, but authentic faith has this urgency about it. Right? And an urgent, and notice that I said it produces a sin mortifying desperation. What do I mean by sin mortifying? That's a word that Puritans used. And I like it to mortify sin. What do I mean? A sin mortifying desperation. What, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to mortify sin? Put it to death. Put it to death. Right? So, what I'm arguing is that authentic faith, authentic salvation produces, although we struggle, although we fail, although sin is difficult and challenging, in and through that, there is still this, this murderous intent that we have. We are murderers, not of people, but of the sin that lurks even in our own hearts. That's, that's what the work of God produces in our lives, a sin-mortifying desperation. You see, the fruit, let me put it this way, the fruit, the evidence of authentic faith is not apathetic, casual passivity, but instead a vigorous, intense dependence upon the sufficiency of Christ. Do we struggle? Do we have lapses? We do. That's why we need the body, right? That's why we need the community of souls, the blood-bought comrades to help us. But um, uh, that is what God's work produces in us. And, and it's, it's the means by which we persevere to the end. Okay, so let, let me summarize give you some implications, and then we have question and answer, okay? So again, there's my number. If you have any questions, let's, let's, let's do this. All right, so here's the summary. Here's the summary. All who are truly saved will persevere and be preserved to the end. We got that, right? All who are truly saved will persevere to the end. Um, in other words, reaching salvation, actually, uh, hold on, I'm going to, Okay, uh, I'll put it this way. Uh, so I said this before. Hey, here's, the, here's the summary. Our eternal salvation is predestined by the Father, predestined by, the Christ, by, by Christ, uh, purchased... <laughs> come on, Jared. Get this now. All right. Predestined by the Father, purchased by Christ, and thus it is eternally certain and secure. Okay, so we got that, right? We're all agreed on that. However, the scriptures also make it clear that perseverance in faith and holiness is required for final salvation. So salvation is certain and guaranteed and final in Christ, yet perseverance in faith is required for final salvation. And then the third aspect, believers are urged to and warned to not drift from Christ in order to obtain salvation. Those don't seem like they, they match up, but they do. But they do. And I think those, those texts in Hebrews really make that clear. Okay, uh, that may or may not have been a helpful summary, but uh, here, what are some implications for this? 
Um, let me give you a few. I've got 11. I'm not going to give you all those. I'll just give you the, the, the best ones here. All right, here are a few implications of perseverance of the saints. Number one, we must understand that the grace in Christ we have been given, that the grace by which we were saved is also the very grace given to fight the fight of faith. I I think that's an implication we have to wrestle with. I'll say it again. The grace in Christ we have been given, the very grace by which we have been saved, is also the very grace given to fight the fight of faith and win. Put it this way, the same faith that was predestined is the same faith that perseveres. The same grace that saves is the same grace that sanctifies. Do you see? Uh, Number two, uh, perseverance of the saints does not, I repeat, does not mean that authentic Christians can lose their salvation. It does not mean that. Rather, it claims that authentic Christians manifest the reality of their salvation by clinging to Christ to keep them from drifting. That's, that's the tension I'm arguing for. Does that make sense? So, so can authentic believers lose their salvation? Yes or no? No, but how do they manifest the reality of that salvation? By urgent, sin-mortifying desperation and dependence upon Christ that keeps them from drifting into sin and destruction. That, that's what our salvation looks like. You know, it, we, we tend to have this laissez-faire attitude, well, once saved, always saved, which is true, but again, it skips the part in the middle, Right? The, the, the part that talks about persevering and fighting and clinging. Uh, implication number three. Um, again, we're talking about assurance of salvation. The, the sovereign, this is what you alluded to, the sovereign work of the Trinity, the, each, person's, each person of the Trinity's role in our salvation is the ultimate guarantee that our salvation could never be lost, which is really good news. This is incredible news. The, the, each person's work in, in the Trinity is the guarantee that our salvation could never be lost. I really believe that if salvation could be lost, that would mean Trinitarian incompetence. It really would, because God chose you, the Father chose you, but it wasn't decisive. It wasn't enough to to keep you. God, the Son's death, was effective, but not effective enough to keep you. The God, the Spirit's regenerating, sanctifying work did something, but it wasn't enough to be conclusive. It wasn't enough to keep you to the end, do you see? So if someone is lost, then all three persons of the Trinity failed in their role and responsibility. But that's just not a reality. That's just not a reality that the Bible uh, even even wrestles with, Uh, even holds out the possibility that that could be the case. Um, uh, Let me see. I'll I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Perseverance of the saints, application number four. Perseverance of the saints uh, helps us to remember the centrality of God's word in the preservation of our faith. 
So, so never forget that, that, that the word of God is central. One of the means that God has given you to persevere in your faith is the daily sustenance and nourishment and clinging to the promises found in the pages of scripture. I'm not saying some sort of box checking thing where, well, you, missed the, you, missed, you didn't read the Bible three times this week, so you're going to drift into apostasy. No one's saying that. I'm just saying the word of God is the the instrument through which God's power is supplied to you, which keeps you close to Christ and keeps you from drifting. That's why one of the reasons why it's so important to be in the word. Also, and, and preaching is one of those means. So when I stand up here on a Sunday morning, there's a lot at stake. There really is. It's not, just, well, you know, we, we preach because that's just what we do. You know, and just preaching, it's just a sermon. It's not just a sermon. And it's not about the guy do, doing, doing the preaching either. You see, I preach, and this, this is what goes through my head as I prepare. I try to preach in such a way that will empower you to escape temptation that otherwise might pull you into the cold ocean of sin and destruction. I write things for you that I just want to give you something that you can hold on to. One thing, one phrase that you can just hold on to. Okay, all right, that's what I'm going to hold on to so that I don't drift into sin and destruction. I preach with that in my head. Thank you. You're, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> I always want to respond in a really cool way to when you, when you, when you uh, give me a shout out, but... I'm always mostly just awkward. Okay, but, but I, really, I really mean that. I, 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 I preach with that in mind. So when you listen to sermons, be on the edge of your seat, not because my preaching is incredible, but because you need to listen for something that will help you hold on, that you can hold on to and not drift. That's how you listen to sermons. Number five, uh, perseverance of the saints is a community service project. The lone wolf is the dead wolf. There's no such thing as lone ranger Christianity. We need the community of souls to persevere, right? That's why the one another's are there in the Bible. So, so don't separate from the body. Um, maybe a couple more here. Uh, remember that, and this is crucial, this, this is very important. Remember that the warnings against apostasy in the Bible, remember why those warnings are there. Let me just ask you, why are they there? Kind of a, kind of a, I'm cornering you. That's a, that's, that's a big question to answer. But, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you an easier question. The Bible assumes that there is one kind of person that will listen to those warnings against apostasy. Apostasy. Who are the people who the Bible expects are going to listen to those and take them serious? Who takes those serious? What'd you say? A wise, a wise individual, absolutely. What do you? Authentic Christians. What's another name for them? The elect. the elect. Only they take those commands seriously. They're the only ones. They listen to the go. They listen to those and go. I don't. I don't want to drift. I don't want to drift. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, I believe my salvation is certain and secure, and yet there's a process, and I struggle, and it's hard, and I fail. I don't want to drift into apostasy. They're the only ones who listen to those. People who maybe are, need some help, they just go, that's for someone else. I'm, that is not the appropriate response. So uh, one of the... Um, uh, warnings against apostasy, apo- what is wrong with me? Apostasy in scripture are one of the very means that God has given to keep us from drifting into apostasy. That's why they're there. Yeah, let me see. Ah, okay, I'll close with this one. Um, I've got others that I could give. Ooh, maybe two more. Okay, last, next to last one. 
Uh, Perseverance of the saints. Here's what this doctrine does for us. This doctrine, I'm in number eight here if you're following along. Perseverance of the saints helps reset our expectations of what the Christian life feels like. Perseverance of the saints resets our expectations of what the Christian life feels like. Because I don't know about you, but it seems like that there's a lot of people kind of always going for the camp high experience. Right? I'm just, you know, I, I kind of don't like, you know, pictures of guys standing on some mountain cliff and he's got his arms raised and he's just in the, in, you know, just enthralled, you know, with the majesty of God. I, I mean, is he enthralled with the majesty of God or is he worshiping the sun? I don't know. I can't tell. But, you know, but, but there's this thing. And I always look at those and go, you know, that's not where we're at a lot of times. Not just geographically in some beautiful field, but in life, emotionally, that's just not where we're at a lot of times. Sometimes we're just kind of hanging on. We're just kind of hanging on. And, and you see that, the, the, how the, let me just ask you, what are some ways that the New Testament describes the experience of the Christian life? What, what are some descriptions, and they're colorful, vivid, that the New Testament gives about what the Christian life experience is like? Did you remember any verses that describe that? Oh, they're in there. Don't look, don't peek. <laughs> Okay, pretend you didn't see him. A race. A race. Casual jog, stroll through a garden. A race. Hard, grueling, aching bones, difficult, painful, and exhausted. I want this to end, right? A race. How else? A battle. A struggle. Warfare. A war. Like, like fight to the death. Right, you know, I always get the picture of you know, you know, uh, a knife in your teeth, jumping into some trenches, right, and, and you know, surrounded by Germans, and you know, you're gonna, um, you know, you're gonna take them all on. It, it's it's that it's that word that that's literally the Greek word that's used, pale. Pale is this word that describes sort of like you're grabbing someone by the neck and you're fighting to the death in the trenches. That's the word the New Testament uses to describe Christianity. Wow. What else? Yeah, so the armor of God, right? So our, our struggle is not against uh, uh, flesh and blood, right? So we need the armor of God, okay? What else? Bearing up under trials. Bearing up under trials. Yeah, so, so I always put it this way. If, it, if Christianity feels hard, then you're doing it right. If it feels hard, then you're doing it right. I don't mean unnecessarily hard, like, I just keep giving in to sin, and man, this is really hard. I'm just going to keep going back, eat my own vomit over here. That's not, you know, that's that's not what I mean. I just mean if the day-to-day struggle and battle in the Christian life is, is, if it feels hard and weighty and grueling and difficult and painful and challenging, guess what? You're doing it right. You're doing it right. If you're just kind of, I haven't even thought about it. I don't know, I... That's not a good place. Okay, so that's uh, perseverance of the saints helps us reset our expectations. Last one, last one, promise. Cross my heart. Uh, Verse nine, uh, perseverance of the saints reminds us to be deadly serious about, watch my fingers, little sins. Perseverance warns us to be really, really careful about little sins because supposed little sins Maybe isolated events, well, okay, it's bad and, and, and that's serious and you should repent. But all of a sudden, when they become patterns and they become coveted things that you can't wait to get back to, they, they grow and they expand. You can't contain, you know, like here's how sin, uh, sin is a little bit like the ocean. You can't say, here you will stop and you will go no further. 
You can't say, well, I'm only going to sin this far, and then after that I'm done. It just, that's just not how sin works. Because you, you give it an inch, and it takes up the continent. It, it just grows and spreads, and, and, and that's just what it does. And so it has to be complete amputation or death. Those are your options. So little sins, they pile up and left unchecked. They grow and they spread and they cause fissures and, and uh, our resistance to crumble. Listen to what uh, uh, John Owen said. And I'll, I'll close with this. John Owen, the, the 16th century, six, Puritan in the 1600s, said, sin always aims at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice, might it have its course, it would go out to the utmost sin of that kind. What he means is, every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression. Every thought of belief would, of unbelief would be atheism, might it grow to its head. Men may come to that that sin may not be heard speaking a scandalous word in their hearts, that is, provoking to any great sin with scandal in its mouth, but yet every rise of lust, might it have its course, would come to the height of villainy. It is like the grave that is never satisfied. Wow. We got to take it serious. We got to take it serious. Okay, that's, that's a ton. I unload on you guys on these things. Uh, what, what questions do you have? I guess I could check my phone here. Uh, I have zero questions. Well, okay, well, this, is, this, could be, this could be really good news. Uh, yeah, what do you got? Uh, and then I'll go you. We need to be so thankful and grateful for what we've been given. And what example came into my mind was the chaplain of our Christian Mm. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So it's nice to not have that baggage to kind of have to work through that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That'd be a lot to emotionally to wrestle with. Yeah. Yevi, what were you going to say? And then we'll go, Peter. Yeah. Probably. I forgot, I forgot where it came from. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, by the way, if, if you're up to some hard, chewy reading, and it will take some time, uh, get Mortification of Sin by John Owen. It's hard and it's not easy, but that's why it's lasted 300 years, because over 300 years, because good books stick around. So that's worthy of, of your reading. Yeah, Peter. It, it most certainly, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Peter's asking about, sorry, I mean, I'm just talking over the top of you here. Um, yeah, so Peter's asking about, you know, can you comment on the verse Philippians 2, um, uh, 12 and 13, um, and, and, you know, what, what is Paul saying? It seems like it fits with what we're talking about, and it totally does. Paul says, therefore, beloved, even as you have always obeyed, and uh, even now in my uh, not only in my presence, but even now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's interesting. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he didn't say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. Meaning what? 
What's he after? What does he mean, work it out? What does he mean? It means sanctification, right? Live it out, right? The grind, the, the brutal grind of, of life and, and, and you know, the, uh, uh, so work it out and, and obey and use God's means to obey. And so work it out. So do sanctification. But notice what he says. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You work out your salvation. You do that. You are responsible to work out your salvation. Do that. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's pretty interesting, right? So when we are persevering, when we are trying to obey, when we are doing sanctification, um, we're really doing that. And yet, at the exact same time, in and through and above and, and in and underneath it, God is at work. That's incredible. Beautiful synergy there of, of God uh, working in our lives. I'm glad you brought that text up. Hey, any, anything else? What do, you, what do you guys have? Any other questions that need to be answered? Loose ends that I didn't tie up. Uh, we'll go uh, Sarah and then Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So her question is: If you didn't hear, we're dealing with someone, and they seem like they're here, and we're not sure they're here, and they ex- they seem to indicate signs that that could eventually be apostasy. We're just not sure where they're at. Maybe nothing overt or nasty, right? But just like we're just we're concerned. We're not really sure. Is that kind of the? You know, I, I don't know if we have to assume anything, if, we are, if they are saved or unsaved. I think, I think w- when there's someone who are kind of like, I, I, this, I don't know, I don't know where they're at, and, and they seem like kind of lukewarm, kind of drifty, we're not really sure, I think what we have to do is we give them, we, you know, it depends on the situation and the conversation, but I think those are the appropriate times to give them those texts of, look, you know, um, Hebrews 3, you know, is really clear that, um, you know, that if anyone should have an evil, unbelieving heart, uh, that we are to exhort them uh, to persevere firm until the end. And so, you know, so you maybe just say, I, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to make a, a assumptions, and, but there, there's some things in your life that cause me concern, and I just want to exhort you and encourage you to, you know, give them something concrete. I want to encourage you to persevere, and you seem kind of lukewarm. I don't know. Tell me, what do you think? And then let, you know, make it a dialogue. My guess is, my guess is their response you know, you, usually the response is one of two things. What, what do, you know, what could one spo- response, if you said that, look, I'm concerned that you might be drifting and I'm encouraging you to persevere, what are possible ways that they could respond? One is... Defensive. Yeah, right. And, and I think their response could be really telling. Well, who do you think you are? How dare you? You know, it's like, well... That's why I talked to you about this. That's why I talked to you about this, you know, because that was my concern. But, but if, if the response is, man, uh, man uh, you know, you, you're right. I, I haven't been doing well. I haven't been, I, this, uh, you know, because I've had conversations with people like that. You know, I just, 
I, like, who did I talk to recently? Golly, who was that? And, uh, and, and it was back in Spokane, and, and I just said, you know, how are you doing in your faith? Not so great. Not so great. And then they proceeded to tell me, and, and that response gave me hope. It gave me hope because there wasn't this, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm just doing fine. I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm just busy. I'm just really busy. And I don't know. And, and it just kind of blown me off. But there was this, there was this tenderness and, and, and desire for help. But, but, you know, I mean, just because they respond defensively doesn't mean that they couldn't respond later. But I think you give them those passages. You, you know, you, you play hardball with them and go high and tight and you urgently and graciously warn them, you know, to persevere. Because that's our job, right? And we don't, we, don't have, we don't have time to play around. Please do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and to not feel any shame in that, right? Because I think sometimes we're not honest and open about where someone beloved is to where they're at spiritually because we're afraid of what people will think. And, and we, we just, we, this should be a place where we should be able to share those things. Look, I don't, I don't know if my kid knows the Lord. I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Um, and, that, and, and that there's no shame in that, right? Yeah, that's good. Well, and which is why you would have the conversation in the first place, right? But, but, but you're right, you know, and, and you know, you, you, but you, you, you let them know that you care. I'm talking to you about this because I, cause I, cause I care for you and there's so much at stake. Yeah, I think there was something, there was Tommy and then Vicky. Yeah, you, uh, one of the scriptures you read earlier is 1 Corinthians 15 too, where he's talking about the gospel whereby you're saved unless you believed in vain. Mm. So let's, Talk about that a little. Is that like intellectual assent? That's a good question. Uh, or what, what does it mean to believe in that? Yeah, that's a great question. So 1 Corinthians 15, 2 talks about, you know, believing in vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, but I want to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say a couple things. I would say a couple things. One, uh, I think it could be mere intellectual affirmation. You know, I am intellectually convinced of the gospel, um, and and yet um, maybe there's a case of you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not that serious about yielding my life to that, but I, I intellectually affirm it. So that could be one thing. I think I think one of the things we we see oftentimes is the kind of faith uh, that that the Gospel of John so oftentimes describes, and it's the kind of faith that believes in Christ uh, only, put it this way, how, how do I put it? The kind of faith that believes in vain is that believes in Christ as a means to getting what they really want and it's not Christ. I think that's the kind of faith that, that is described, that the scripture portrays. You, you believe in Christ, I believe he's God and King and Lord and Savior, but, but all you see him as is a means to a greater end. And, when, and this is what I really want, is I just want my life to turn around. I want my wife to come back to me. I want, you know, this or that. And Christ is just a means. He, he's not the treasure. He's just a, uh, he is a means to the treasure that you really want, and it's not Christ. 
So I think, I think that kind of faith that's so clearly described in, in, in the scriptures is the, the vain faith. The problem is that the word believe is used in two different ways. It is. We mean genuine salvation, but then there's that other kind that's still believe, yeah. but it's not saving belief. No, in fact, here's what's really crazy about this. In John 8, I think it's verse 30, it says Christ was preaching. He said, many believed in him. Very next verse, he says, and he said to those who believed in him, and then he goes on to tell them that they're going to perish. That's John 8. It literally happens. They believed. He preaches to them who believe, and he tells them a few verses later, you're going to perish. Tells them that you're going to go to hell <laughs> because there is an unbelieving belief. It's... it's Yes, yes, and we, and we see it. We see it in the parable of the soils, right? I've got to shut this thing down, but, but the parable of the soils, right? There, there are four soils, right? The first seed went along the road, okay? And then there was the thorns, and then there was the rocks, and then there was the, the, the kind that bore much fruit. Um, which, how many of the four were professing believers? There's four soils. How many were professing? Three. One was, okay, well, they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they totally rejected it. Three of the four professed how many were legitimate. One. Give me the percentage of that. 25% yeah. Tw- 20, 25, 25%, right? So 75%, 75% of the people... Well, only they, they rejected eventually and only 25% were real. That's pretty accurate to what we see in real life. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we see. Real quick on that, Corinthians, do you think it was uh, believing vain had to do with uh, rejection of the resurrection? Oh, and probably in context, it probably did have something that there were some things about particular rejections, things that were going on in that church that, yeah, for sure. No, I think you're right. Yeah, good point. Yeah, go ahead and then we'll, we'll close with this. Yes. Yeah. It's that, it's that intellectual affirmation. Demons totally believe. They affirm every single thing in our doctrinal statement, and, and they're, not, they're not saved, right? So there's a, there's a kind of faith that can affirm intellectually and yet not, it, it not be legitimate. Yeah, this is good. I think this is helpful for us in life and in counseling for our own souls. And how could I say no to you? Go ahead. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. I, re- I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Okay, thanks. As I hear everybody talking, I, I, the visual keeps coming to me of um, the Lord being the binding with God. Yes, very good. If you didn't hear it, she said her, the, the visual keeps coming in her mind of Christ as the vine, and that is exactly right. Because abiding moment by moment in him is the kind of thing that this is talking about. With white knuckle tenacity. That's right. That's right. Well said. Well said. All right. Well, that's it. (laughs) You need to know more pastors. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, that's it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, It's good to to have you. We'll uh, see you next month, I think, for an evening in Revelation. We'll spend the whole night in Revelation. Uh, I think it'll be next month. Maybe December. We'll see. We'll let you know. We're done. Thanks so much.